Demonstration Church. Is Lewis in the house? I just got a text saying I got a testimony from youth if you have time. Well, that doesn't work. All right, well, I think I see one of the ushers out there putting him in a headlock. Here he comes. All right, here we go. All right. Well, he's running down the aisle to get saved, and then he's going to get a testimony. You can't text me and then not be here. I am quick. Do you read your text during the, while you're up here? I, 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 I figured can, I had a minute or so. Contrary to what my wife says. Oh, my gosh. I can multitask. Look at this. All right, what do you got? Keep it quick. Okay, so, um, so I just want to share a, a testimony. This is really cool. So my, okay, I'll try to get through this. Quick, I told him two minutes. So Joshua is my son. He's 12. And uh, our, our boys just love the youth group here. They really do. And, and I uh, really appreciate our youth group leaders. They're wonderful people. Anyway, uh, so Josh has some friends that go to another church. And then yesterday he got invited to their church youth group event. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, what? No. And it was so much better than ours. No, that's it. No. So I have three ideas on how we Great can prove it. <laughs> so no. glad I let you come up here. <laughs> he, he didn't even ask me what I was going to say. Anyway, so when Josh got home last night, um, I said, you know, how was it? So anyway, his friends go there and he got invited to this event. So it was like six to nine. That's a pretty long time. But anyway, so I said, you know, how did it go? And he goes, oh, it was okay. And I said, what did you do? And he says, well, we played games, and then we ate, and then we had worship, and then we had a message, and then we had free time. And it was interesting because, you know, especially at that age, it's all about being with their friends, right? And he has some really close friends that go to that church. And I said, well, did you like it? And he said, well, it was okay, but it seemed like it was just all about activities. And he said, I really didn't feel like I connected with God. He said, at our youth group, we connect with God. Hmm. So thank you for that. Yeah. Because, you know, it's easy sometimes you see the churches with the big buildings and the big programs. And, but we have something really special here, which is we have such a high priority um, for relationship and for connecting with God. Yeah. And that's even being instilled in our youth. And to have my 12-year-old tell me that that was, you know, in the midst of all the water balloon fights and fun stuff that he was there to connect with God, and he didn't, and he was disappointed because he knows what that feels like. So thank you, guys. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Lewis. Amen. So on that note, I'm going to release the middle like we used to. And so the church at the turn of the year went on a fast, and we began, and we did a series on faith and started believing God for big things, and big things started happening. And so every, now I've got testimonies backed up. In fact, the I reserved at the beginning of January, knowing God and how he responds to fasting and prayer and faith, I reserved the last Sunday of January of 2019 for Testimony Sunday, did not prepare a message, and it would have been a big dud if nothing happened in January. And I'm telling you, we had so many testimonies, it was, we didn't have enough time. And the testimonies are just continuing to roll in as we fasted for the month of January and dedicated to God for his kingdom and coming his will to be done in our church. We did the faith series, and then we were in a what does love look like series. And then we moved in, we stumbled into accidentally a Holy Spirit series, which I just finished last Sunday. And I'll be preaching the next two Sundays. Mark will do the couple after that. And so I was asking the Lord uh, what he would have me teach 
next. And what rose up in my heart was his love for the lost. And it's all about grace. And today, Mark told me he already has his messages prepared, and they are on grace. So it looks like we're now in a grace series. <laughs> I, I just, amen. I just love the way the Holy Spirit moves and works, and how we flow with him. It's so much fun. It keeps the church full of life and energy. So, Lord, we thank you for your leadership of this church. Lord, Holy Spirit, we love you, and we welcome you and all your dynamic You are the one that transforms us. You're the one that makes us love Jesus. You fill our hearts with love for him. And I ask that you give us a revelation, Holy Spirit, of the love of God for us today and next Sunday that you open our eyes and our hearts and that we experience grace so we can give grace and not be a judgmental, mean, critical people, but a people that are just deeply thankful and humble by your grace in our lives. And that's what we give to others. Only you can produce that. So as I do my best, to teach Holy Spirit, use it and change us. And everybody said a big fat amen to that. I'm going to read over the next two Sundays, we're going to study Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Today we're going to look at, today we're going to look at the lost sheep and the lost coin. And we're going to read just those first two stories of this chapter, and then I'm going to tell you a story that happened just Uh, I think it was yesterday. God does things all the time to give me illustrated sermons. I'll prepare my message on Tuesday, and he'll do something throughout the week that gives me an illustrated sermon. And this one is off the hook. Let's read Luke chapter 15 and break open this series for the next, uh, yeah, let's break it open. Here we go. Luke chapter 15, I'm in the New Living Translation, Chris. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Isn't that amazing? This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now you're going to see, by the way, as we read through this, three groups of people in these stories, and these first, this first story in particular, three groups of people. You want to be in the right group. Let's see if you can figure out which group that you're supposed to be in. I'm going to read it again from the top. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Got so much to say. This made the Pharisees and the teachers and the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. God forbid. So Jesus told them this story. Who's he telling this story to? The Pharisees and the scribes. Okay. Now let me tell you a little secret. We all have a little Pharisee living inside of us. And it feeds on pride. It feeds on spiritual pride. We want to kill him over the next couple of Sundays. So we can be representing Jesus, not religion, to the world. Amen? All right. By the way, I'm I'm trying to give you a hint about which group you should be in. By the way, I'm trying to make it as clear as possible for you today. 
If a man, here's the story, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Will he leave the 99 other? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost? Everybody say this last phrase out loud. Until he finds it. Until he finds it. Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. I'm trying just to read it. <laughs> i got so much to say about every phrase. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Did you see the three groups of people yet? Did you catch them? Anybody? Three groups of people here. Throw one out at me. The Pharisees, the lost, and what? Well, well, yeah, the found, right? Yeah, okay, the found. There's four groups of people. Nobody has said it yet. Yeah, heaven, God, the angels, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to be in that camp? Yeah. We want to be in God's camp when it comes to his view on those who are far from him. We don't want to be in the group that's far from him. We don't want to be in the group that is criticizing those who are far from him. We want to be in the group that is celebrating every sinner who takes even just one step closer to God. That's the group we want to be in. Okay, now I'm going to read the second story to you, and then I'm going to tell you what happened this week. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. I'm titling this message, What is your attitude toward those who are far from God? What is, now you need to check yourself, ask yourself this question, and be really brutally honest with yourself. What is your attitude toward those who are far from God? This week, somebody, this is a different story, I'll tell you the other one I was going to tell you in a second. This week, somebody said to me, I saw somebody smoking at church. And they said, that's like giving God the finger. I said, well, first of all, you don't know the person's heart. Second of all, they were at church. 
I said, I would rather have them at church smoking than not at church smoking. Because what if they are seeking God? What if they, and they are at church, by the way, so there's a, there's a telltale sign. And I said, and what if they run into you? Do you think they're coming back? As though, by the way, smoking is the unpardonable sin. Is it good for you? Well, no, but neither is soda. Neither is gossip. Neither is pornography. Neither are outbursts of wrath. Neither is jealousy. Neither is covetousness. Neither is hatred. Neither is lust. Neither is greed. We just can't see these sins. But we walk in here with those too. A little Pharisee, huh? Just a little Pharisee. Should we be smoking? No, but we also shouldn't be addicted to food and all these other things. But some of us are. But are we coming into an atmosphere of grace that will set us free or an atmosphere of judgment that will repel us and cause us not to ever want to come back again? What is God's attitude toward those who are far from him? See, every church needs a good big dose teaching of grace every once in a while to slay that little Pharisee that's rising up on the inside. So, here's the other story. So this week I'm studying this. I think it was yesterday, right, Lily? You were sitting next to me on the couch? Well, the other couch in the living room. Rachel, will you come up here for a second? I want to ask you to do something. Run on up here. Here we go. Rachel, one of our phenomenal youth pastors. Okay. Okay, I want, you to, I want you to try to pull off my ring. Try to pull off my ring. Is that coming off easy? No. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Is it coming off? No. It can't come off, right? I never, ever take this ring off. I never take this off. Thank you very much. Can you give her a hand? Isn't that amazing? So I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm studying... These passages, and my whole desire is that God would expand my heart first and give me, me, his heart toward those who are far from him, lest I be a religious leader. I want to be a grace-filled leader that will produce a grace-filled church so those you work with and live with and know will run into grace-filled Christians that go to the gathering place church. Our tendency is to go the other direction, so we gotta. So I'm sitting there, and then I'm studying the sheep and the coin. And as I'm studying it for today, I looked down at my hand, and my ring was gone. And I said, "Lily, where's my ring?" I said, "My ring. I never take my ring off." And so I started searching for my ring. I totally forgot about this parable. 
Because I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I didn't connect the dots yet. I was freaked out because my ring was missing. This doesn't come off unless I really work on it. And so I get out my flashlight on my phone and I'm looking under the couch. I'm looking in the couch. I'm looking all around the place. I strip my bed, took all the sheets. I'm doing this with the covers, look under the bed. I'm going, God, I've got to find my ring. I can't lose my wedding ring, especially with hope in Africa. <laughs> oh, yeah, you lost your ring while I went to Africa. <laughs> I said, Lord, this is not good. I went out to my car. I looked in the console. I looked under the seats. I looked everywhere. I am freaking out looking for my ring. Uh, this went on for about a half hour. I went into the closet, looked in all the pockets of my pajamas, of my clothes, clothes I didn't wear. I'm looking everywhere, and I'm standing in the closet. I'm like, God, please, please, where's my ring? And I look down, and it's right there on the carpet in the middle of the closet. I'm like, how did it get there? And then the lights came on. I was like, I was just reading. I was just reading about how God feels about one person that is far from him. It's like a woman who lost a coin and she searches, what? Until she finds it. She's desperate. That's all she was focused on. Until you and I are focused on the lost, we are not on God's page. Jesus is eating with these sinners, and the Pharisees are mad at him because he's a rabbi, you know. He is not representing the rabbinical priesthood very well at all because we don't hang out with sinners. In fact, we stay as far away from sinners as we can because they are dirty and we are clean. And so here's a rabbi not only associating with sinners, but actually eating with them. Now in the Middle East, you have to understand, just having a burger with somebody means a lot more to them than to us. When you are invited to eat with somebody in the Middle East, they are extending the hand of friendship to you. I remember when Hope and I had some Afghanis, Afghani neighbors move in. We were, uh, when we were first married, they invited us over for lunch. And we we're walking down the sidewalk to their house. I said, honey, plan on being here for, for like all day. She said, what do you mean? We've got things to do. It's, they're just inviting us over for lunch. I said, yeah, but it's an extension of friendship. We were there for over four hours, and they fed us and fed us. There was a pile of rice with all the meat inside, you know, all the chicken inside, this big pile of rice, and they fed us and fed us until it was like coming out of our nose. I mean, neither one of us wanted to take another bite, and when your plate's empty, it, it's, it's, uh, they fill it up again because that's their love language, right? And both of us are ready to vomit. We have eaten so much food. We are done, and she fills up my plate. She fills up her plate. I was like... We looked at each other and our, you know, the, our eyes are like glazing over. And when they turned away, she took hers and she shoved it onto my plate. <laughs> then they sat us in the living room and gave us dessert. And then we had to, not had to, I'm sorry. Then they turned on a wedding 
uh, of one of their children, and we sat there and watched the wedding for a very long time. Because the... <laughs> it, was, it was an offer of friendship. This is what was happening. And the rabbis, the Pharisees, could not believe it. Who is this guy? And what made vendors even worse was that Jesus has a massive following, and they don't. Isn't it interesting that these notorious sinners often came to Jesus to hear him teach, not do miracles? Are notorious sinners coming to you often to hear you tell them about God? Isn't it weird that notorious sinners were attracted to Jesus? What was it about him? And what was it about him that caused religious people to be repelled by him? Hmm. I wonder what his message was. It's one word. Anybody know what the word is? Grace. You see, this is what I believe that Jesus knew. I believe Jesus knew that rules do not draw people to God. That religion repels people. Because we are all falling short and we all are very aware of it. And so when you raise the standard really high, we don't want to be anywhere near it. Did Jesus lower his standards? Of course not. He's God. He's perfectly holy. But I believe what he knew was living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brings death. There was a tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. It's about more being moralistic. And so if we live out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's all about avoiding sin and doing what's right so that I can be a moral person and therefore, hopefully, be accepted by a moral, holy God. And that is what every religion is about, is is self-improvement and proving ourselves so that one day we might be acceptable to God. That's what the law was for that God gave to us. It was a perfect standard of God's holiness. And he said, now live by the law. And everybody failed. Is it okay? Is everybody clear? All right. There was another tree in the garden called, anybody know? The tree of life. (laughs) Woo! The tree of life is a tree of intimacy with God. It's a tree of relationship with God. And Jesus knew this. He's the tree of life. He knew that if I could just spend a little bit of time with these folks, they will be so attracted to hope. So attracted to how God feels about them. They'll lay down their sin and just come on home. 
You see, I believe that the way Jesus sees people is that they're simply spiritually lost people who need to know the way back home. What if every person that you and I connect with who has not yet come to Christ are just people that need directions? Like somebody asks you, how do you get you know, downtown to, uh, I don't know, the uh, convention center? What would your response be? You are such a moron. You don't even know how to get to the convention center? Pfft, I've been there so many times. Huh, what an idiot. What a loser. I can't even believe it. You're pathetic. I mean, is that the way you would respond to somebody who's asking you for directions? Why in the world would we have any kind of attitude toward a, what Jesus would call a spiritually lost person? One who doesn't know that God loves them and has called them to have a destiny in heaven. Why would we, as those who have been given the assignment to give people directions to heaven, think less of them because they haven't yet found the convention center? When somebody gave us directions, what if we just saw every person who's far from God as somebody who simply needs directions? This lost coin that this lady had, now in our Western mentality, Western view that we we have, we think it was just a coin. She has 10, you lose one. It's not that big of a deal. If you have 10 coins and you lose one, it's worth about a day's wage, the value of it. But it's not that big of a deal, unless we understand what the coin represented. The coin was part of a set of 10 coins that she wears as a headband around her head, all day and even sleeps with it and never takes it off because it was given to her by her fiance. It's part of her dowry. It's a woman who has been chosen, a woman who is going to be married. It is her social status in that culture. It is going to be her provision for her and her family when they have run into need. This part of her dowry they can use as a family for her to use the coins before her wedding day is a shame to her, to her fiancé who gave it to her. It would be a shame in society. This was a social status thing. It was the most precious thing she owned. That's why she was so desperate to find that one coin out of the ten that she had lost. It was a sign of her coming marriage. This is a sign of my marriage to hope. Spiritually translated, that lost coin is a soul. It is a person that is far from God. God is waiting for every single human being on the planet to say yes to his son. He wants the full set. He wants everybody in. The Bible says that God does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting for all the coins. He calls us his his special treasure. He wants all the coins in. And guess whose responsibility it is to go get the coins and the lost sheep? It was the woman's. 
She's the one that was responsible to find that coin. Our, our, can I put it this way? Our fiance, Jesus, is in heaven. He's going to be our husband. He is to marry the bride, the church. And we as the church are to be finding every lost coin we can, searching diligently for the lost coins. It was her primary focus. That shepherd lost one sheep out of 99, leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go after that one, say it again, until he finds it. You see, this is one of the problems we have with our Christianity. When it's all about me and my four no more, when it's all about God, bless me, bless me, bless me, my name is Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. When it's all about us and what I'm getting, that is why Christianity becomes fat, it becomes lazy, it becomes boring, it be, we become critical about the church, about the music, about the sermons, right? And we, become a, we, we begin to critique one another. Why? Because we're not focused on those who are lost. When our focus changes to God, help me, pastor, equip me, share with me how to be able to share my faith effectively. Help me be the salt and light of the world because I'm going to work tomorrow because I've got to deal with my neighbors tomorrow because I'm dealing with my in-laws tomorrow. And my mission in life is Jesus' mission in life, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. I want to be part of the great commission. Have you ever heard that term before? The great commission. 2% of the church shares their faith with their friends and family. May not that may that not be our reputation. I know it's intimidating. I know all that, but it doesn't matter. That is our mission. That's the Holy Spirit's passion. That's what Jesus is waiting for. And I'll tell you, when you lead somebody to Christ, the exhilaration is indescribable. You literally feel heaven throwing a party on the inside of your soul. The joy that comes up is incredible. It's beyond human joy. All of heaven bursts into celebration when one sinner on the planet comes home. And you feel that on the inside. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are right in here. You feel this. Yes! on the inside don't you want to feel that feeling so how do we get there from here this is why the teaching on grace is so oh by the way is that an amazing thing God did Do you think he's trying to get across to you and me what he, how he cares about the lost? I mean, do you realize that that wasn't a coincidence? Is anybody still in coincidence land right now? Because we'll wait for you. God can't just make your ring disappear from your finger. He can sling the universes into existence with two words that are still expanding at 186,000 miles per second. He, he can raise the dead. He can raise himself from the dead. I think he can cause a ring to come off somebody's finger. 
if he wants to communicate a message to his church about how he feels about every single person on the planet. Yeah. This was all about me. Thank you, Eric. I don't know why I was... Yeah, I take that. Amen. I'm telling you, I just sat there. I, 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 was, I was stunned. Isn't that amazing, Mark? <laughs> it didn't come off. Where do, how do we get there from here? It begins with grace. When people feel your judgment, they do not want to be around you and they're repelled. When people feel your acceptance and embrace, they want to be around you, even though they know that you disapprove of their decisions and lifestyle. I mean, it it really blows me away that these notorious sinners chose to go be with Jesus often, to hear him teach. He had to just be so gracious. You know, can't you just see him just kicking back with some prostitutes and some tax collectors and some drug dealers and whatever else was going on there, notorious sinners. He's just kicking with them. Was he sinning? No. Was he condoning their sin? No. But he knew that a relationship was the key to drawing them home. Where does this begin? Well, the way that you and I view those who are far from God will be reflective of how we view our own relationship with the Father. Which comes from the way we view the Father. Your view of God will dictate how you relate to Him. And how you relate to Him is the way you will be relating to others. Jesus knew the love and the goodness of God. So that's what He was dispensing. The religious guys knew nothing of the grace and the love of God. All they knew were rules. I want to give us a little axiom to look at today, a little grid, a little grid to kind of test where we are and the way we relate to God. And if there are some adjustments that need to be made, in a moment we're just going to come to God and we're going to say, oh God, I'm more of a Pharisee than I thought I was. I'm living more by works and legalism than I ever realized. I'm going to let this grid, this little simple grid, give us a little litmus test about maybe where we are in our relationship with God. Because I'm telling you, If you break into grace, the way you relate to everybody else is going to completely change. People are going to enjoy being around you so much more. And I'm talking about notorious sinners. Some people say, well, the reason they don't hang out with me is because they don't want to hear the truth. Well, you want me to start over? Verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. When people see a mega church, well, the reason their church is so huge is because they're compromising the truth. How do you know that? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Does that mean small churches are the only ones teaching the truth? It's the size of the church is irrelevant. 
The fruit is the proof. Are they reflecting Jesus? A relationship with God based on works versus a relationship based on grace. This is where evangelism begins, is your relationship with God and what is in you and what's coming out of you. Here's some, little, here, here's some comparisons, and you can check yourself on this. A relationship of works is joyless. It's just joyless. Why? Because we're always falling short. We're always condemned. You're always feeling like, I mean, think about it. You read a chapter, let's say in the Old Testament, so it's even worse. Let's say you read a whole chapter in the Old Testament. And the devil says what to you? See, Mark's been hanging out with the devil. He knows his voice. I'm sorry, Mark. You're just trying to help me. Yeah, why didn't you read two? You pray for 15 minutes. You get done. Pastor John said we're supposed to pray 30 a day. You give. You didn't give enough. You share your faith. You didn't do that very well. You see, when we live by the law, when we live by rules, we think God's grading us. You see, here's the thing. This is really big. You and I can begin in grace and quickly gravitate into a relationship of works. Why? Because we, we, are, we live in a fallen world with imperfect love, with shame and guilt and criticism, and our parents, including myself, we are not perfect parents, and we screw up, and we do things that hurt our kids, and we're unfair sometimes. We don't know the whole picture and who did what and who actually broke the lamp and who's lying and, and all that, so then the justice gets meted out unfairly, and the kid knows it, and you're, you're like wanting to throw, fling yourself out of a window, right? God, God never feels that way. I mean, God sees everything, and He's gracious, and He's perfectly just and holy. We grow up, even you know, in some imperfect situations where we, we, we have to earn people's love, and if it's a parent, it's a disaster, because then we, and most of us grew up this way, where you, you, you feel like you're always trying to earn approval and earn love, and so that becomes, and then we come and we grace, we meet God, and whoo, God accepts me no matter what, and that doesn't last very long sometimes, because you're not having pastors teach you about grace over and over and over or because you and I distance ourselves from the father because we get busy distance ourselves from the word because we get busy and before you know it, we had salvation that was beautiful I remember what it was like it was so sweet it was so innocent it was so freeing it was so full of wonder and love and I was telling everybody about Jesus but you know seven years later it's just different and you think about it you reminisce about what it was like way back then but we're supposed to be growing in freedom upon freedom upon freedom upon freedom upon freedom upon freedom we're supposed to be experiencing more and more grace you know the bible says that we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ we're supposed to grow in grace that means we need to we need to proactively grow in grace, learning about grace over and over and over. When we don't focus on grace, we end up doing our, we learn about the disciplines, we learn about prayer, okay, I got to pray. We learn about the word, okay, I got to study the word. We learn about tithing, okay, I got to make sure I tithe, okay, exactly to the right penny, because I got to make sure it's exactly the 10%. Okay, and then I've got to witness, okay, I've got to, oh, I hate that, I don't know. 
Okay. And then, and then, okay, so I'm going to do it. I'll start with prayer. So you pray, and you don't pray enough, so you feel guilty. And then you don't read enough, you feel guilty. You don't go to church, or oh, I missed a pastor. I, you know, I wasn't at church last week because, uh, right, and so you feel guilty. And you don't share your faith, so you always feel guilty. Guilt is not a part of grace. It's a telltale sign you're living by the law when you feel guilty if you don't pray. One time, I was about 24 years old, single, living in an apartment, one-bedroom apartment. I was sitting in my chair, and I was supposed to be in my devotional time, like I've learned as a good Christian, which is great. But here's the problem. I'm sitting in my chair, and I cannot pray because I'm paralyzed with guilt because I don't pray enough. Forget about joy. There was none. It was depression. It was discouragement. It was shame that I have not prayed enough. I was in Bible school. So we're learning all about these spiritual disciplines. And the Lord spoke to me. He's so good. And he said, You're such a failure. I'm kidding, you guys. <laughs> you, <laughs> not funny, he says. I just want to see if you guys were awake. You're such a dud, spiritual dud. No, this is what he said to me. He said, you never have to pray again. Now, some of you are thinking, he wouldn't say that. Well, he did. When he said that to me, I knew exactly what he was saying to me. He said, I love you either way. I'm with you either way. We're good either way, whether you ever pray or not. That's not the point. I love you. You know what I did instantaneously? I hit my knees and I had one of the best prayer sessions of my entire Christian life up to that point. Because prayer was not me trying to earn points on a, on a, on a score sheet. It was communing with God. That's when I began to recognize that voice of guilt and shame. That's not my Savior. Joy will be the first trademark of your walk with God. I'm going to go down this list and we're going to close. I want you to identify where you're at. Let's go to the next one. Angry. You're angry when you're living by works because you're always falling short and you know it, so you, have, you hate yourself spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about just having joy in life. Like, I mean, if you're going to go bungee jumping or something, that's fun. Or you're going to go to a football game. You can have joy in your life, a happiness. I'm talking about your relationship with God. What is that like? When you think about hanging out with God and your spiritual life, a lot of times, you're angry if you're under works because you're falling short. You set a goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize two scriptures every week. I'm going to read three chapters a day. I'm going to pray, and you don't do it, and you get angry because you're falling short. Rather than just being content because whether you hit your goal or not, God still loves you. The next one, if you're living under works, man, you get worn out. You're just tired. It is hard to be on that religious that, that religious treadmill. That's why Jesus says, you know the scripture that says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, 
come to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know in context what he was talking about? He was talking about a religious system that they were under versus a relationship with him. He said, all you who labor and are heavy laden under this yoke of religiosity and rule keeping, come to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You get energized under grace because you know God is on your side and he loves you no matter what. The next one, hopeless. Because you fail again and again and again and again and you just throw in the towel. Anybody ever felt that way spiritually? Come on, just be honest today, right? No perfect people allowed. Come on. You ever felt that way before? You just, you're like, I can't do it. I got saved by grace. A couple months later, I was going to quit. And the person who led me to the Lord, I told him, I'm not coming to church anymore. I, I can't stop sinning. And he said, hey, did you save yourself? I said, no. He said, well, don't try to change yourself. Jesus is going to do that. That saved my walk with God. Now, 30 years later, I'm still walking by grace. You say, do you sin? Yeah, so do you. So shut up. What are you talking about? Well, what is it, Pastor? Well, I'll tell, you my, I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. See how quickly I went into the self-improvement game? I got saved by grace, but then I couldn't stop sinning. But over time, my desires started changing as I hung out with Jesus. And now I don't even want to do the things I used to do. I have no desire to do those things anymore. Why would I want to be brought down? So you're hopeless, hope-filled if you're looking by grace. Go ahead, the next one. Okay, this is if you actually are doing good. You've got your prayer life in order, you've got your word life in order, you're sharing your faith, you're tithing, you're going to church consistently. And if you're not depressed, this is under works. If you're not depressed, you start becoming prideful. And you find somebody that doesn't even have a prayer life. Seriously? Remember the story in the Bible of the Pharisee that went to the temple to pray in the center? And the Pharisee prays this. He says, God, I thank you I'm not like this sinner, but I, you know, tithe and I fast twice a week and da 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 The sinner prayer, it's a great story. The sinner says, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ said that sinner, that publican he called him, went home justified and the Pharisee did not. Everybody say, yikes. See, so you can either say amen or oh me. Either one works when you're hearing a sermon, all right? You become prideful and you think you're better than others because you've got your prayer life and your word life in order. Or with grace, you realize it's all by grace that I even want to study the Bible. It's all by grace that I want to come to church. It's all by grace that I even care and love God. It's all by grace I even care about a lost person. I only cared about myself before I got saved. What am I doing caring about lost people? But I do. That's grace. That's not self-produced. It keeps you humble. Next one. Judgmental is the end of a person living under works. And the self-improvement model is you find yourself judging others continuously. Or you're a person who continually gives out mercy. Mercy. 
because you've obtained so much mercy. I want to say this last phrase and then, oh my goodness. Okay, so this is the message on reaching the lost, but it begins with what's going on in our own spiritual heart, our own spiritual relationship with God. And so we have got to grab a hold of grace. Or am I saying that you can sin? It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is if you grab a hold of the grace of God, you're so empowered and so thankful and so hopeful that the desires for sin just begin to fall away. Love is the biggest deterrent against sin, not law. Law actually produces more sin because you keep being told what you shouldn't be doing and your flesh is, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. That's what the law does. It revives. It causes the desire for sin to come alive. But if you're looking at Jesus, you're like, oh, I want that. And you just turn your back on that and you just walk toward Jesus. So I want to say to you, those of you who are trapped under works today and you've been living with guilt and shame and you've gotten weary and hopeless, rather than focusing on your unfinished work, focus on Jesus' finished work. When you start to feel either depression or pride, you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus. That's the telltale sign that you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus. If you feel depression because your spiritual walk sucks, or you feel pride because you've gotten things really going good this week. Either way, you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus. And this is all about Jesus. Let's pray. I want to come to the Holy Spirit right now. Bella, you uh, want to bring the band up? Where do you think you are today? Are you on the grace side or the works side? Maybe there's a mixture. Probably is. back to grace just come back to grace today let's just give our eyes on Jesus and come back to grace let's come back to grace let's just sing the song as Bella leads us let's put our eyes back on Jesus
Okay, I want to I pray with you over just a few things. For those, and we all may be a mixture of these, so everything may apply. For those who have been living with anything on that left side of that grid, <laughs> you, do you remember the day that Jesus saved you? Or do you remember the day that you crossed the spiritual line and you connected with him for yourself? Do you remember how joyous that was? How freeing that was? That's, that was called grace. So that discouragement, the sense of spiritual failure, leave it here today. That ring that God disappeared from my finger and put back on represents someone that you know or a handful of people you know. Right now, let's ask God to put into our hearts His passion for the lost. Okay? Let's just do that right now. Let's open yourself up. Pray this prayer out loud. Would you just say after me? Say, God... The same grace that you have shown me, I want to show to others. Fill my heart with your grace. For the lost. So when I leave here today, every person I see, every person I see that is far from you, I will see them the way you see them. And give them grace. Everybody said amen. Amen.